morning, guys. How's everybody doing? Good? All right. Let me ask you something. <coughs> kind of a week have you had? <laughs> yeah, I see a lot of people say, you know? Well, I know it's exhausting, right? So-so back there? How you doing, buddy? Good to have you. You have a good week? All right, great. Glad to hear that. All right, we have a... We all have a mix. We all we have, well. We have here a mixed bag of emotions and things that have gone on in people's lives. And uh, I just want to uh, first of all congratulate uh, the Silvas for the new grandkid. However, there's complications as well, so we got to keep them in prayer. And for their children, I'm going to keep praying for uh, Jan and Terry, and of course uh, uh, Reuben, Reuben's family. Uh, they had a stroke, and I appreciate the Silvas for doing the ministry and uh, working with them. My daughters, both of them were injured. They come to realize what, um, what old age is like when you <laughs> you know, keep them in prayer as well. <laughs> yeah, one of them is here and the other one's probably trying to battle with the kids right now in the children's ministry. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, and, and we come this morning and I bring all that up because I think that today's message, I pray that it'll, it'll just bless you because it is one of those things that, that we uh, just seem to do, even though we're told not to. And remembering, for those of you that don't know or don't remember, um, 21 years ago on September the 11th today, there was an attack on the United States. Oh, about 3,000 people were, were killed, you know, some 2,700 in the buildings, some other 300 plus or so um, on the airplanes, Pentagon, and so on and so forth, that uh, people were just, it was all walks of life, firefighters, the police officers as well. And, you know, it's not a time to celebrate, but a time to remember that we are very fragile. There is this wickedness that is upon not only the nation, but upon believers as well, genuine believers. And, uh, and we've been talking about how it is to be and what it means to be a genuine believer and what it means to be, uh, to stand firm, let nothing move you. We've been talking about the outside forces. And then we've also talked about the inside forces that are within the church that deceive and lead many people astray, even the elect, if it was possible. And in the process of it all, we get inundated with so many things in life, our, our finances, our relationships, illnesses, family, uh, well, you name it. And now, you know, we have the country to worry about and our city and our state. A lot of people were worried about Hurricane K that came this last week and just the devastation that it's causing, the fires. And, you know, if, if you don't worry, uh, you know, then I think that there's something, you know, good that, that you're not able to do so because of the sovereignty of God. You understand that God is sovereign. And as we've been going through our class, we know that God is sovereign. And when you understand that God is in total control, and when you align your will with God's will, you come to realize that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. We understand that everything works together. It may not be good. And we're, all, we're over here praying, God, help me, help me, heal me, heal me, give me, give me. It's the, called the ministry, the spiritual gift, the gimme. Somebody said, gimme, 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 gimme. And you're telling God to come over here and align his will with yours when the prayer is your kingdom come, not my kingdom. And your will be done, not my will. And we are to align. And somebody asked, why do we pray? If God already knows what we want, why do we pray? Because God wants you to align your will with his will. And you will see the sovereignty of God, how we hold a high view of God, and what it means to understand that God is in control. And so today, I'm going to, open, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, as we're concluding this book of the New Testament. That Paul has been going through in Philippians chapter 4. We've already been through verses 1 through 5. And we're going to go over 5 again just a little bit and 6. But before we do so, I'd like to lead us in a word of prayer. Pray for these uh, petitions. Is there anything else or anyone else that we, we can be praying for? We're going to pray for Shirlene's grandson. He's still overseas, right? Okay. And also, yeah, uh, Richard and Eileen for your mom. Okay, yeah. Oh, and your sister. Okay, okay. Any other prayer requests? Yeah. Yes? All 
Oh, very good. Thank you for bringing that up. Shirley? Okay. All right. Well, let's do that. Let's stand in the reverence of God's word as we read it and in prayer. Our Father in heaven, uh, we do come before you standing, first and foremost, to recognize your presence. We bow our heads, not because it makes us any, any more holier or more righteous, but it gives us attention to your sovereign will. And we close our eyes in humility, recognizing your presence. Lord, if you, if you weren't here, you weren't present, then there's no sense in even trying to align ourselves with you. But we know that you've guided and created and brought us to this point. No one's here by accident. And those that aren't here, I pray you just bring them here safely. And Father, we do come to you uh, understanding that your word is the ultimate and the last word. And there is nothing else that we need. Your word is sufficient. We don't need an extra revelation. We don't need another word coming in from outside. All we need is your word. And so this morning, I pray that we do diligence to your word, that we study to show ourselves approved as workmen who can rightly uh, divide the word of God, your word. And I pray, Father, that as we go through this portion of Scripture, that you not only give us the, the, the details that are in it, but we understand that it all falls within the context of what Paul is talking about and to whom he's talking about and to where he's talking about and where he's writing from. And Lord, it's with that understanding that we come before you to recognize that, yes, you are sovereign. And all these things that are taking place around us, like uh, Shirlene's friend and her grandson that uh, is, is overseas and the friend that's in the hospital, like this young man that Elisa met and, and how they prayed for each other and just the, the various uh, things that are going on with Richard's family. And, and Lord, it's just, it just never seems to end in their life, it seems like. It just comes one right after the other. And for, for everyone else here, for James and Winter and, and for those that are within the sound of my voice, all these things, Father, are taking place in this not in a vacuum, but it, it's all happening to align us with you. And Lord, we know that uh, sometimes you test our faith, especially when we claim to, to believe and to surrender. You test our faith. And so I pray, my Father, my God, that yeah, as you test us, as you lead us, I just pray for gentleness as you move us closer and closer to align ourselves with you. And Lord, so this morning, as we come before you to bring these petitions to you and, and uh, not only to supplicate, but also to worship and know what worship is all about. So lead us this morning as we go through this portion of Scripture. So Father, we thank you and we praise you and we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remain standing, let me just finish reading this right here in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to go through verses 5 and on. And Paul says to the Philippians, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can somebody say amen? amen? Oh yeah, let me read the rest of this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Father, we know that your word is true and we come to you in reverence as we open up and hold it in our hands. Lord, just expound it to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Worry just seems to be the one thing that many of us seem to go through. Though it's one of the greatest commandments that God says, don't worry, do not fear, do not fret. When Joshua led the Israelites after Moses had died, Joshua led the Israelites uh, into the promised land. And right before he led them, Joshua was kind of afraid. He says, you know, Moses is dead. Uh, it's just me now. And what do I do? And God continuously said to him, do not fear. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not. Over five times, he says, do not be afraid. It's like you knew Joshua was shaking at his boots. God, what do I do? He says, I'm going to do it through you. 
Don't worry about what I do. And it's interesting because what Joshua was told was to take the Ark of the Covenant and go across the Jordan River. And Joshua was told to tell the priests to put their feet into the river that was flowing. It was at flood stage and it was flowing really fast. And Joshua was told that the moment that they put their foot in the river, what was going to take place was that the river was going to stop. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I'd have been those priests, if I'd have seen that water, I know God's going to part the ocean somehow. He parted the ocean. I know he's going to stop this water. I probably would have come to the edge of the water and says, okay, Lord, stop the water first, and then I'll step in. But see, what God wants us to do is to step in first, and he'll stop the flood stage. And at the moment they stopped, the water was heaped up, and they crossed all these, uh, you know, they say probably about a million people by this time, that crossed over, and they conquered the promised land. And from the very beginning, God is constantly saying, do not worry, do not stress, do not be anxious, Paul says, about anything. And why? Well, first of all, he qualifies this at the very beginning of verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. God is at hand. Jesus Christ is at hand. He is near. He is right here. In our membership class we've been going through, one of the things that we, we focused on is the, that we have a high view of God. Because we have a high view of God, we know that God is in control. God is the one that we look to. And, and so it, it causes us to recognize His holiness, and it causes us to recognize our sin, and it causes us to repent of our sin on a regular basis. I'm still a sinner. I'm saved by grace through faith. I'm a saved sinner. And in the past... I, I loved my sin. I wallowed in my sin. I bragged about my sin. I enjoyed my sin because, as I mentioned before, sin was fun. If sin was a bummer, nobody would do it. And because now I've been saved by grace through faith, I understand the cross and the pain and the suffering and the atonement and all that Jesus Christ did for me. Yes, I sin. But on this side of the cross, I hate my sin. I, I want to stay away from that as much as possible. I want to draw closer to God. And the closer I draw to God, it seems like my, my sin gets even uglier. And I repent to that sin. And I try to move away from it. We hold a high view of God here, beloved. And I want you to hold a high view of God to help you in these times of crises. God is in control. Amen? Amen. He's in control. He is. He is at hand. And being near, hand, right there. He, he, he's near the brokenhearted, the Bible says in Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. In Psalms 145, 18, it says that the Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Unfortunately, when we face trials and we face all these difficulties that's going on, we lose all all our confidence and trust in Him. And it happens to the most mature of believers. And if it happens to the mature of believers, can you imagine what it does to those that are immature, that are just starting? Can you imagine how it affects and you lose your self-control and your spiritual stability? You feel defeated. You, you don't feel like you can make it to move on. And you, you start thinking, you know, God, why? We start questioning God, our, our own uh, purpose in life. And, and, and so we, we, no, we're, none of us are immune to this. However, there are those that understand that we hold a high view of God and it just brings us right back in there. It happens to the most mature of believers, and I know it happens to me as well. I'm not calling myself the most mature. I'm like Paul, like we talked about recently. You know, not that I have already obtained all this, not made, made, been made perfect. But one thing I do, I press on toward the goal, which is heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on. I keep going. And, and, and but... One of the things that I've come to realize is when that happens, I, I seem to snap right back into it. Okay, Lord, you know, forgive me. <laughs> I cannot start, I can't start stre stressing out and worrying. I, I got to remember that you're in control. And I step into it and boom, and it just seems like I come right back. And, and I want, beloved, for you to come to that point as well. And, and it doesn't take a super apostle. It doesn't take a super Christian. It just takes a simple understanding of God's word to be able to get through each of these worries and stresses and anxiousness and struggles that you go through. There are weak, struggling, unstable Christians that need to build their faith. 
There are people out there that, that their foundation, that the, what the Word of God says, there's, there's some out there that are still building their house on the sand and have not yet learned how to build their house on the rocks. Because if you notice that parable, that story that Jesus told, both of them were builders. Both of them built their house almost exactly the same. The same wind, the same rain, the same floods came, but one stood and the other one didn't. Jesus said, put these words into practice. Do what I say. Anxious, worried, harried believers are unstable. And vulnerable to trials and temptations. Anxiety is a violation of scripture and totally unnecessary. And, it, and, it, and it's just one of the things that we shouldn't do. In Luke chapter 12, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12 with me so you can see this as well. When Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, he is recounting what, Je what he's learned from Jesus Christ. Jesus told this parable not only in Luke chapter 12, but he also told the parable in Matthew chapter 6. And when he said, do not worry, do not be anxious. And the story in Luke 12, verses 22 through 34, that Jesus told, comes at a point in the ministry of Jesus Christ, when he just finished talking about the parable of the rich fool. He told this parable of this rich man that planted a bunch of grain and it produced an abundance of grain. He says, oh, wow, I got so much. What am I going to do? I'll tell you what. I'll tear down my old barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. And Jesus is giving us this parable in the midst of a traumatic experience of this farmer that was told, you fool, you don't even realize that your life is being called upon this very hour. And so Jesus goes on to say, and in verse 21, so, and so is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. He says, actually, go back to verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich to God. And in verse 22, and he says, and he said to his disciples, therefore, well, we've already done the therefore. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither store house nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? If then you are not able uh, to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor, to, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be given, added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that, that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for there, where, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, bless your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with me for any length of time, you've probably heard this message before. This message is one of my go-to messages when I am, you know, I'm glad it fell today. I, I really needed that, but it's one of my go-to messages when I talk to people about worry, stress, and anxiety. And the reason this message keeps coming up over and over and over again, because God continually tells us over and over and over again, do not worry, do not stress, do not be anxious about anything. Paul is sharing with us, do not be anxious about anything. He says, I don't want you to worry. Don't worry. You got to understand that God is in control. God is near. If you have a high view of God, you understand that everything, everything that's going on in the world, 
All the nations, all the battles, all the fear-mongering, all the politics, all the diseases and this COVID, all these things, God is orchestrating for His divine purpose. One thing that many theologians and and people and pastors are believing right now, as, as well as I do, is that the United States is under divine judgment. The the United States has turned in such a wicked way, in such a wicked manner in what they are doing that it it has no other recourse than to experience the divine judgment of God. And I know people are praying for revival. People are praying for things to come to order and people are praying for God to intervene. And God is saying, you know, I've been talking with this nation for over 200 years now. And if you remember anything about the Old Testament, he dealt with them in, in a matter of 800 years. And technology, it wasn't as, as advanced as it is today. Today, if something happens right now, we hear about it all over the place. And so we are under divine judgment by God because of the things that this nation has turned to. And yes, if there's anyone that should be worried is you or this nation is God just said, and we'll, we'll touch that right now. But you should not be worried is basically more what I should have said. Let's look at our outlines. Number one, going back to this, this portion of Scripture. Number one, first of all, he says in verses 22 to 23, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Jesus is basically saying worry is unreasonable. It's unreasonable. I mean, why do you worry? Life is more than what you wear, what you eat. Yet people worry about just the minutest, smallest details. And, and, and sometimes we worry about things that are going to happen tomorrow. We worry about the future, about, uh, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow? And I can't, I, can't, I can't go into the future. You know, I can't change. The, I, can't, I can't make the future happen. I can't change the past. And I can't make the future something else. I don't even know what the future is. All I do is mess up my right now. I can't change what I have done. And I I don't have the power to change what's going to happen. And all I can do is just mess up my day right now. And it just, it's, it's interesting that when I used to be so caught up in this worry, I'd worry, worry about the things I did yesterday. I worry, worry about the things that are going to happen tomorrow. And the next day I'd wake up and I'd think, why did I worry about yesterday? You know, I'm here. I made it. I've got food. I've got clothing. I've got a job. I've got a house. I even have a vehicle. It's unreasonable, Jesus says. Number two, worry is unnatural. It's unnatural. It's not natural for you to worry, as I mentioned last week. You weren't born to worry. I've heard people tell me, but I'm a born worrier. No, you're not. This is a learned behavior. Worry is something that you learn from either your mom, your dad, or somebody around you. That taught you how to worry. You're worrying because of all the news, of all the things that are going on. Worry is unnatural. He says, consider the ravens. By the way, the ravens were probably the most vilest birds of the New Testament at that time. They ate everything dead and gross. And and ravens were considered to be a curse. But God says, and Jesus says, consider the ravens. Even those that you consider to be the curse of this land. He says, look at that. They, They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Well, that's true. They are eating, and they're multiplying. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And then go over to verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Can you see that? It's, it's unnatural. Nature doesn't worry. Nature doesn't worry if it's going to get burnt down. It gets burnt down. It comes right back up again. Nature doesn't worry about the, the, the weeds and the lily. The, they don't worry. They're beautiful right now, but then they're, they're gathered up when they dry up and they use them in the ovens to do other things. It's useful for something else. Flowers don't worry. Birds don't worry. Nature doesn't worry. Everything does exactly as God says, except man, there's only one thing in creation that worries, and that's you and me. And God says, it's not natural. You weren't born to worry. You were born to worship. You weren't born to to just take it all upon yourself. And this is why, number three, worry is unhelpful. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now look at that. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour 
to his span of life. It's unhelpful to worry. As a matter of fact, worry, more than likely, is going to make you sick. You, worry is not going to help you. It's going to do more harm to you than anything else. Worry attacks your nervous systems and it, and it causes and triggers all kinds of, uh, to release your system, to release all kinds of hormones and speed up your heart rate and your breathing, raise your blood pressure, raise your blood sugar, raise your, you know, all kinds of things in your body. That's what it does to you. It, it, it affects your muscles. When you're troubled about something, the, your muscles and your shoulders and your neck, they all tense up, don't they? You want somebody to massage you and you're just like all tense and it affects your breathing. When you worry, when you stress out, it's you, you're short of breath. Your heart starts to get attacked, your blood sugar, your immune system, your stomach, you know, not to mention your intestines and everything else. And on top of all that, you can't sleep, you can't, or you can't get up. Worry is going to kill you. It's unhelpful. Matter of fact, worry kills you more and you can't add any more time to your life. There is this big push for good health, and, and I'm not, you know, knocking good health. Please, I'm an advocate of good health, as you can tell. You know, I'm, I'm pretty healthy. Uh, but I think you should, you should moderate, you know, exercise. You should do those things. However, it's not going to extend your life. How many of you, by worrying, can add a single hour? You can't. You have a, just like you had no control as to when you were going to be born, you have no control as to when you're going to leave this world. You have an appointed time. And God has given you that time. I know people, for all intents and purposes, that should have died 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I know that they, you know, that they, they, should, have, they should have passed on because of the illnesses or the sicknesses or whatever the case may have happened at that time. It should have happened then. But everyone has an appointed time. And when it happens, you, know, you can't add any more time to that. Now, with that said... What you can add is the quality of your life. Yes, exercise, eat right, don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't hang out with women that do. Don't do those kind of things that you know are going to mess you up. And what you want to do is you want to extend the quality of your life. My grandmother lived until she was like 96 years old. She walked everywhere, took the bus everywhere, wouldn't, take, wouldn't buy a car. She walked, she drank juices of, of fruits and vegetables, that's all, and she ate really good. And one, one day she had a, a stroke, and three days later she died in good health, mind you. As a matter of fact, when she was at home, the, 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 uh, my aunts asked the doctor, you know, at her age, what can she eat? And the doctor says, honey, at her age, she can eat whatever she wants. <laughs> so don't limit her. It just comes to a point where you cannot add. And Jesus says, it's unhelpful. You know, it just messes you up more than anything else. You have difficulty swallowing, dizziness, dry mouth, fast heart rate, fatigue. You get tired, irritable, nauseous, nervous energy. I'm talking about stomach problems, ulcers. That's what anxiety does to you. You see, it's not natural to worry. It's not reasonable to worry. It's unhelpful to worry. Number four, worry is unnecessary. It's just unnecessary. Especially if you say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that God is your Father. It's unnecessary. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. It's unnecessary. Because God takes care of everything in creation. Don't you think He's going to take care of you? And it's, it's one of those things that we've learned how to do, as I mentioned. It's a learned behavior. And because it's a learned behavior, guess what? You can unlearn it. You can unlearn how to worry. I'm going to share with you on how, what Paul says about how to stop worrying. Worry, number five, is unchristian. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations, that's everybody else except for God's people, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. See, it's when you start worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to do, how, how things are going to pan out, when you start worrying about health and everything else, basically you're saying, God, you can't take care of me. i got to do it myself. i got to go to work. i got to work two jobs. I've got to work late. I can't go to church. I can't do all these things because i got to take care of my life. As a matter of fact, God, you're the one that gave me this job on Sunday, so it's your fault. You know, if you wanted me to go to church, you want to give me that job. 
And we blame God and we say, you know, God, it's your fault. You're not taking care of me, God. And so we're saying basically, you know what? God doesn't exist or it's unchristian. You're not aligning yourself with God's will. He says, you know, you, know, you, you seek and you don't. Why? The world seeks after these things. Your father, he knows what you need. Then why don't I get what I need? Well, that's for another message. However, because when God promised, and we're going to talk about this when, when Paul says this, that my God will supply all your needs, not your greeds. He knows what you need. And so when you pray for a million bucks, God knows that I don't need a million bucks. Man, I can barely handle a hundred bucks. And he wants to give me, I want a million bucks. When you say, I want this relationship, God says, no, you don't. Well, I'm going to do it anyways. Because God, I want you to align yourself with me. Get over here and bless what I'm doing. Instead of us aligning ourselves with God and to be blessed by what he's doing. God, and what happens is that when things don't pan out the way we want it to, the way we want it to, it's because our will is not aligned to God. And when that is happening, you're acting like the rest of the world. The rest of the world shouldn't worry. Amen? They have something to worry about. There's a lot going on out there that, frankly, I don't know how they do it without God, without recognizing that all this is going to come to an end without recognizing that God is going to explode with his wrath upon this, this sinful world, and God's wrath is going to be unleashed, and he's going to punish those that just would not submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. The Bible teaches this, and we proclaim it, that the gospel message came for sinners just like us, just like me, to save a wretch like me. I'm a saved sinner. And when I act worried, then I'm acting like an unchristian, if that's even a word. Let's turn over to the other side and go back to Philippians for just a little bit. So, so what does God, what does Paul say? Okay, he says, first of all, do not be anxious about anything. And then he has that qualifier, that conjunction, but he says, in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What he says here, basically, in, in a sense, is what he's saying is, I don't want you to worry. What you need to do is you need to worship. When you are praying, you're worshiping. Now, when you are supplicating, that's uh, asking very humbly and gently, Lord, you know, you know what I need, and you're not demanding it. That's supplication. And you do that all with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for, for just giving me a breath of life. Thank you for waking me up one more day. Thank you that I can go to the fridge. And even though I may not only have lettuce, at least I have something to eat, right? <laughs> I might not have, you know, the finest cars, but God, I, I have, yes, I need to put money into it to make it run, but I have a vehicle. You know, can you imagine having a vehicle with no air conditioning? Some of you can probably attest to that. I drove a truck like that from Fresno to, to San Bernardino here a couple of weeks ago, and it was 100 degrees at night. Mind you, you know, and, uh, but anyways, that was a trip, <laughs> literally and figuratively. And we have to be just thankful with Thanksgiving, come to God with prayer and supplication. Now, let's, get, let's understand one thing. Okay, worship, most of the modern churches consider worship to be the singing. The, you know, we're worshiping, we're worshiping the Lord. You know, we're, oh, it feels so good. And that's, that's considered worship. The stage, the lights, the fog, and, and all the, the light, and all the cameras and everything, that's worship. And it becomes a show in a sense. And I'm not saying that you cannot worship that way, but that worship is not just music. Worship is more than music. You can worship in a huge auditorium that people are coming before God, but that's not worship. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is what we do on a regular basis. Worship, the, the Anglo-Saxon word is worth-ship, adding worth to his name, adding worth by loving God. In other words, worship is expressing your love to God. When we sing, you're expressing your love to God. When we hear the message, you're expressing your love to God. When we read His Word, we are expressing His Word to God. When we fellowship, oh, by the way, I understand that there's a good little fellowship afterward. Yes? Okay, very good. We have some fellowship right afterward. I want you to stick around. Actually, we're going to call it fellow shaping. 
if you like Vidya, I don't know. <laughs> but, but anyways, there's going to when we fellowship or ship, excuse me, when we fellowship together, that's expressing love to God because we're doing it in the context of one another. When you're driving down the road, thinking any time you think about God, it is worship. Worship is not just music, it's more than music. Music is a big part of worship, but worship is more than just Sunday morning. And so when Paul says, when he says to bring in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And how do you do that? With thanksgiving. How? By being thankful, even for the problems. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, some of you know this verse. Read that out loud. Okay, excuse me, I'm sorry. Not just James. Everybody. <laughs> but lead us, James, all together. Because? Yes, he's your father. I mean, your father should care. The unfortunate thing, at least for people like myself, I didn't have a godly father, an abusive alcoholic. When people used to come to me and say, you know, God loves you just like your earthly father. This is a long time ago. Dude, if that's the way God's going to love me, I don't want anything to do with this guy. Really. But he is your father. He cares for you. This is why we cast all our anxieties on him. I don't want to be anxious. You know what, God? This is what I'm anxious about today. Boom. You take it. You promised. And I'm going to go and I'm going to work. I'm going to work hard and do what I, I came to do. I've got a job. I've got to be responsible. i got a family. i got a home. i got to take care of things. But you know what? The rest of it, I'm leaving it up to you. I'm going to be responsible with the finances that I have. See, Jesus is talking in the context of this parable. He's talking in the context of that, that the, the parable of the, 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 uh, the judge, not the judge, but the, the rancher that wanted to build all these things. Right before that, he's also talking, he gave another parable of these two brothers that, were go, that, that uh, the father had died. Let me slow down a little bit because I'm going a little too fast. The father had died and left the inheritance with the older son, which is typical. But the younger son wanted that inheritance as well. And so Jesus is talking about this in the midst of finances because one of the biggest worries in our life is over finances. It is. And it's amazing. You know, it it has been. I, I started noticing this here just recently. We hear of a recession. We hear of prices going up. We hear of things going away. We see price, the gas of price going up. It's going down now. And people are really happy. Oh, great. It's only $5 now. You know, where, dude, I remember paying only 99 cents a gallon. You know, $2 a gallon I thought was absorbing. $3 for a long time was okay, you know. But now we're only paying. Now we're only paying and we're happy. And we're doing it willingly. And it's amazing. I don't know exactly how this all fits in God's scheme. But, but you know, there's a deception going on where, you know, I... We have all these prices and inflation, and we love it, and we're happy with it. Oh, yeah, gas prices have gone down, and we're spending and spending and spending as if there was no limit. The, The college students are now being absolved from their college debts. There's so many different things and programs out there. They're just giving away money, giving away, you know, it's like it's, it's, there's no tomorrow. Yet, we're told that there's a recession, there's things. I I really don't understand in the economy of what God is doing, except for the fact that He's setting up the United States for a huge fall. A huge fall. And and in the context of all these finances, we we give them to God, you know, I've worked hard, I'm I'm being responsible, I'm taking care of my bills, and and things are, and and Lord, I'm just going to leave the rest to you. It's just the way it's going to be. I'm going to give to you what's yours. I'm going to give you my time, my talents, and my treasure. And the rest of it, Lord, I leave it up to you. See, because in Philippians 4, 7, this is what Paul promises. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And you know that peace when you, have, when you are not anxious, but you come to Him in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Guess what? God's peace will come upon you. You take care of the things that you have to take care of, that you know you need to take care of, and the things that are happening around the world and in your life. You don't, Lord, you feed the birds, you take care of the flowers, you're going to take care of me. And every morning that you wake up, guess what? He took care of you yesterday. 
Why were you worried about yesterday? I was. Okay, now I'm worried about today. I shouldn't have worried about yesterday. Now I'm worried about that I worried yesterday. I shouldn't be worried about, you know, and, and that just continues the cycle. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, he said to them, You keep in him, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. In Romans 15, 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And then in Numbers 6.26, this is the Aaronic prayer where God says, uh, God says to Aaron, bless the people. The Lord uh, bless you and keep you. The Lord cause the sun to rise upon you and to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? Peace. That's my prayer for you this morning. I, I, I don't want to see anyone running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Don't know if you've ever seen that. It's a graphic example. We used to raise animals in, in, when we lived in Fresno. And I know what a chicken with this, it makes a mess. It does. If you don't hold on to that chicken, that thing just goes flopping all over the place and splatters blood everywhere. That's exactly what happens. Worry is exactly that. The worry comes from the, from the Greek word that it, you, you're torn apart. And you're torn apart and you're stressed to the limit. You're, you're taken apart. And, 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 and it suffocates. And, and that's what it looks like. It looks like a chicken with his head cut off. Makes a mess everywhere it goes. Jesus even told us, he says, you know, he says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. You see, with the world, the world understands peace as absence of war. There's no fighting. Let's have peace. Okay, just peace, peace. But still inside your heart, there's this angst, there's this worry, there's this, you're being torn apart. And for, for God, it's shalom. Or in, in Hebrew, it's uh, in Greek, it's irene. But in shalom, shalom is more than just peace. And you'll hear this from some of the uh, Jewish brothers. They'll say shalom, you know, shabbat shalom, uh, have a peaceful Saturday or Sabbath. You know, shabbat shalom or shalom. They'll say peace be upon you. But the word shalom means that you, that you have completeness, fullness. That God just cover you with his peace in your whole household. See, it's not just peace, no more war, no more fighting. But it, it's deeper in Hebrew. It's deeper for the Jewish person. And when Jesus says, not as the world gives, okay, there's a distinction. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You know, and that is for God's people and only God's people. God doesn't give that kind of peace to just anybody. Look at Isaiah 48, 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for who? The wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. There is no rest. So how do I worship? Well, number one, on the back of your outlines, keep your eyes on God's kingdom. Keep your eyes on God's kingdom. In Luke 12, 31, Jesus says, Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. I like the way Matthew put it, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first. You know, we want to put God first. And there are people that say, I want to put Jesus Christ first. There were people that were following Jesus Christ and they said, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me take care of my family. My father has not died yet. Let me bury my mother and father. Now another guy says, you know, Lord, I want to bear, I want to follow you as well. But first, let me finish plowing my field. Let me take care of my stuff. The first man wanted his inheritance. The second man wanted a retirement plan before he moved on. He says, let me get, let me get you know, solid, but first. You see, Jesus says, no, you seek first his kingdom. First and foremost, seek his kingdom. And what? All these things will be added unto you. Why aren't these things being added to you? Exactly. We're not seeking his kingdom. And, and I know that it's a challenge, and I know that it's a struggle. However, if you worry, then you're not going to worship. See, don't worry, worship. You can't fit worry and worship in the same heart. One contradicts the other. It's incongruent. It's like water and oil. It, they don't mix. You can't worship and worry at the same time. If you're worried, worship can't come in. And if you're worshiping, guess what? Worry won't come in. 
They won't because you're seeking first the kingdom of God. You know what, God? You take care of the birds. That, that in itself should just tell you, all right, Lord, I'm going to come to you in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving because you've brought me this far. You are my Ebenezer. You've brought me this far. This far you have brought me. Tomorrow, you've taken me that far. The next day, you've taken me that far. See, Jesus, when he gave his model prayer, he told his disciples, pray like this. He didn't say pray this prayer, but he said, pray that our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, not my will. I want to align my will to your will. And then he goes on to say a little bit later, give us this day our daily bread. Daily, not weekly, not monthly. See, some people approach God in such a way. I'm going to come in on Sunday morning and just give me my weekly bread so I can make it through the day and make it through the month or the week. Some come religiously on Christmas and Easter, uh, you know, and they, they only come twice a year. And we need to get connected to the Word of God every day. And when we come together for worship, we get the instructions of what that Word is for us. What the Word says, not just for us, but what it says. Whether it's for us or not, i got to obey it. i got to believe it. You can't walk away and say, ah, this doesn't affect me. This is for you. Number two, keep your mind on God's kingdom. Keep your mind on God's kingdom. Luke 12, 32 says, fear not. Where does fear happen? In the mind. You know, your mind can play so many tricks on you. Your mind is just something. We were camping one time, and, and I was out in my tent, and we heard these, these noises on the picnic benches, and you can hear this rustling around, and automatically, I just, I just assumed it was a bear. The way it was just making a lot of noise out in the middle of the night, and, and just, my heart starts to pump. You know, My hands start to sweat. My eyes were wide open, and, and I didn't want to move. I was so scared. I was so afraid. I was like, I opened up the zipper, a couple of squirrels. My mind made me believe that it was a bear. In your mind, there is a battle for your mind. Your mind needs to be transformed. Your mind, you have to capture every thought and make it obedient unto Christ. Paul says in Romans 12, chapter, 1, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let your mind be changed. And you've got to get that fear out of there. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. You know, he called us sheep. Now, he didn't call us sheep because we were nice and cuddly and cute and pretty. Like Mary had a little lamb. You know, sheep are the dumbest animals on the planet. I wonder why Jesus called us sheep. Because we the sheep eat anything. They follow anywhere. You know, if one jumps over the bridge or over the cliff, the other one follows. Come on, it's not that bad. We can all do this together. We raised sheep. They're dumb animals. They really they eat any. I we had to stop one from eating a can. It was chewing on the on the paper. This is good. And kept going and going. You know, get that away from him. He's going to kill himself. Fear not, little flock. You know, and that's why God says, "I I need to protect you." You know, my Lord. Our, you know, he's he's the shepherd. He is the shepherd that takes care of his flock. He says, for, your father's good, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I'm worried about clothes. I'm worried about food. I'm worried about today. And you know what? I got a kingdom. <laughs> I, have, I have a kingdom. You know, Queen Elizabeth died this last week. You know, but praise God, we serve a risen king. Amen. You know, everybody's all concerned about Queen Elizabeth and how, how many, how long she's reigned. Well, you know, my God has been reigning since eternity. And he, I've got a kingdom lined up for me. Jesus promised it. He says, if I go away, I go and prepare a place for you. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me. That is a promise. He's coming back. In Philippians 4, 8, Paul says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Change your mind. Fear not. Have your mind transformed. Take every thought captive 
and make it obedient unto Christ. How? Well, think on these things. Whatever is true, John, uh, in John 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You want truth? Here it is. Truth is not a concept. Truth is not something to be argued. Truth is not relative. Your truth and my truth, you know, that it's, it's, not, it's, it's incompatible. Truth is not something that, you know, that we can, the philosophers can philosophize over. Truth is a living person. Jesus said, I am the way, what else? The truth and the life. When you encounter truth, you don't encounter a concept, an idea, a philosophy. What you encounter is a person and the person of Jesus Christ. And, John, and Jesus told, them, told us that we are to be sanctified. God is going to sanctify us through His Word. This is why we have a closed canon. This is why we don't allow any other uh, revelation to come in, new revelation. This is, why, this is why we focus on the Scriptures, because that's all we need. We don't need anything else. And God's Word is truth. And, and until all that Word changes me, see, truth never changes. Truth changes me. That might be something you might want to write down. I, I had that message here a long time ago, and maybe I should bring it up again. Because truth never changes. Truth changes me. And it should. And the first thing it should change you to is to recognize that you have a Father who cares for you. You can cast all your anxieties upon Him, and He will take care of you. If I worship, I can't worry and worship at the same time. So how do I do that? Well, think about the things that are honorable. You know, what, what's honorable? What are things that are honorable in this world? Oh, excuse me. You know, let me go back to John 14, 6. Oh, I just read that. I'm sorry. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Think about those things that are honorable. What, what honors God? What is the one thing that honors God? What are the things that honor God? We, we honor Him, not this world, not this government. Things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are commendable. Whatever is excellent, whatever is excellent. Paul says, if there is anything worthy of praise, anything that you can think of about Jesus Christ and who he is, think about those things. And when you have your mind focused on God, his honor, his holiness, his honorableness, his all these lovely things about him, his excellence, anything that is worthy of praise, guess what? Your mind all of a sudden just shifts out worry, but worry has a very funny way of just sneaking right back up there. Satan will make sure, the enemy will make sure to give you something to worry about. Especially if you're already bent on coming to church on Sunday morning. Especially if you're already bent on having a quiet time in the morning with Jesus Christ. You want to build this relationship. Especially if you're trying to align your will with God. Especially if, if, if you're trying to draw near to God. Because the moment you become a believer, that should be your strongest desire. To draw near to God. That's a clear indication of your regeneration. That you want to draw near to God. And, and what the enemy is going to do, he's going to try to stop you. And things happen. And guess what, beloved? Those things are going to happen anyways. I've had people tell me, you know, the moment I started drawing near to God, it's like everything just broke loose. So I lost my job. I lost my friends. I lost this, you know, bankrupt, car, whatever. Everything starts going. And, and then we use these words like these infinitives that are forever. You know, this, it's like everything, everybody, always. And we come to believe that that's exactly what happens because everybody, everything, and always happens to me. No, don't say that. Think about these. This is not a mind control. This is not this replacement therapy. This is, this is worship. This is worshiping on God. Whatever is true, whatever is noble. Number three, last thing I want to share with you on how to worship is keep your heart on God's kingdom. Keep your heart on God's kingdom. This is a very strange passage that a lot of people use for their own benefit, especially pastors and churches. And, and I, I want to just teach you the truth on this. First and foremost, I just want you to know that we're a small church. Um, just, just in case you didn't notice. Just in case you didn't notice. And as a small church, you know, we depend on the giving of the congregation, of those that are here. And in the last few years, God has abundantly blessed this church through people just like you and through outside resources. Not that we 
the conventions or denominations or other churches give us anything. It's by God's sovereign plan. He's allowed us, we used to have a swamp cooler in here. He gave us the money for the air conditioner. We used to have weeds and stuff out here. I don't know if you remember that. He gave us money for that. We used to have a parking lot that was all full of potholes and, you know, people's cars, their tires were punching and gave us money for that. You know, it's, it's like God has provided for us every step of the way. And so you'll rarely hear me come up here and preach a message on giving, tithing, or sacrificial offerings. That's not who I, who I am, and I don't do that. However, when it comes to the message, I need, a, I need to touch on it and share with you, because here's what Jesus Christ is saying. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, what? There will your heart be also." His response or his recommendation or his command to his disciples is not to sell everything. You have a responsibility that God has given you for your home, your house, your, your family, and all those things he wants you to take care of. You have a job. You have things that, that provide for your needs. God has provided for you in such a manner. And I don't believe that God cares what kind of job you do as long as it's not immoral, unethical, or illegal. You know, He doesn't want you selling drugs even though it might get you a lot of money. doesn't want you working at a bar, you know, because you might get a lot of tips. Those are some of the things that got, you know, but he says, you know, just keep it, keep it, keep it safe. Keep it simple. Don't do anything illegal, immoral. You know, even though working in a bar is not illegal, you know, it's, it might be immoral for some people. Well, it is. You don't want to be involved in those types of things. But what God says is not, not to get rid of, he's, he's approaching us in the same way that he approached the rich young ruler. See, there are a lot of people that think, you know, I'm good. I'm great. I'm all right. You know, everything's good in my life. You know, I mean, being God, you know, I don't do anything wrong. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do all those things. A rich young ruler came to Jesus and says, what must I do? That's, that's number one. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, follow all the commandments. Well, the guy says, well, which ones? I mean, there's a bunch of them. Well, I says, you know, do not lie, do not steal, uh, honor your father and mother. You, you know, do, and he named them all off. He named off a few. And then the rich young ruler says, <laughs> you know, Jesus, I've, I do that. I'm, I'm a good person. I'm good at all that stuff. Man, I've been doing that since I was a kid. And he says, all right, well, let me tell you something. Take everything you have, sell it, and give it to the poor. What? What Jesus was focusing on was not... The stuff that you have, it's your attitude towards what you have. Are you willing to give it all up? God doesn't need it, but are you willing to? And in the same sense, he's not telling you to sell it all. Yes, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow. So what you do is you take care of those people that are in need. You take care of people that you know within the body of Christ. There's a lot of supposed need in the world. God is not asking you to go and feed every homeless person. What he's asking you to do is to take care of those who are genuinely in need. That genuinely have a need. The church body should be taking care of itself in a sense where it's ministering to the church. Where you are ministering to one another, not just financially, but also with, you know, I, I see that happening within our church. People taking food to one another, people giving rights to one another, people helping one another. We're, we're not a big church, but it's a giving church. It's a loving church because you've understood that what you have is for the needs of everyone else. Now, I have not seen anybody go broke or be in need because it is provided to you by your heavenly Father. That's what Jesus says. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old. In other words, don't put your money in the, the banks or whatever. Do you know that right now the IRS is monitoring all the money that you spend? Did you know that? All the money that you earn? They're monitoring everything. They have a, they have a close eye on all your possessions, your money. Those things that what Jesus Christ says are money bags that grow old. And they can snatch it away from you at any time. If uh, the trucker's boycott in Canada taught you anything the, these these truckers were trying to say you know we don't want to get vaccinated we, we, we just we just want to work you know you got to get vaccinated we don't want to get vaccinated and so they they did this convoy and they stopped the traffic so the prime minister went into their checking accounts took everything away from them 
They raised all this money in a GoFundMe account. They had all these millions of dollars that they were having. The, the, the Prime Minister of Canada went in there, took all that money out too. He says, you guys didn't get nothing. Because I want you guys to get or whatever it was that he was trying to get them to do. If that didn't teach us anything, anytime the government wants to tell you to do something, they have the power to do it now. At this very moment. There was a way of getting around some of this stuff through Zelle or what's that other one? The, the money thing and the, the app? Venmo. Venmo, thank you. All right. I mean, I use one or the other. I'm not going to tell you which one. But, um, but Zelle's always worked good for me. But uh, I'm not... And now what they're doing is they're monitoring that they have to report to the IRS what it is that they're, they're giving away. They want to make sure that those people that are using these apps are paying their fair share of taxes. Beloved, don't put your money in place. I mean, you have to put it somewhere right now. But don't bank on it. You want an account that's not going to grow old, that nobody can get into? You want a treasure that no one can actually access? Store it up in heaven. How do I do that? Well, by sharing with one another. We're going to share a meal today. Because somebody was really, you know, I want to do this. And I pray you stick around for that. You know, give to the church. Give to, your, give to a nonprofit organization that you really do, truly believe in. That is, that is preaching the gospel, is sharing the word to missionaries. If you need a list of missionaries, I can give you some missionaries. If you need somebody that uh, you'd like to donate to, please do so. I, I can give you some, some of that account. However, here at North Park, we give on a regular basis. And that keeps the lights going and the air going and the things that are going on here. And, and, and God has blessed this church tremendously. If you were with us for this last business meeting, you'll see that how in the world does this even happen? <laughs> really? We're, we're, this, is how we're op- this is what we're operating with? Yeah. How? Only God. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. And it's not that one person gives more or a bunch. or It's just that everyone individually gives on a regular basis. We have people that, because of COVID and all these other things that have happened, that are no longer attending, but still send their gifts. And so we have the ability to, to grow the ministry. Because we understand that when we are storing up our treasures in heaven, in Matthew 6, 19... And I'll conclude with that. Matthew 6, 19, uh, verse 21, Jesus said, Do not lay up your, yourself, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He concludes the sermon that that we just went through in the same manner by concluding by saying, store your gifts in heaven. Jesus talked more about giving than he did heaven and hell. He talked about finances. He talked about monies. He talked about that more than anything else. Why? Because that is the biggest angst, the biggest anxiety in people's lives. That's what people worry about the most. And if you want to be free from all that anxiety... Give. Give on a regular basis. Give to your church. Give to the place where you, where you worship, where the storehouse is kept. Give on a regular basis. We don't tell people to tithe, though that's a, a good portion, that, that, that's a good uh, method of using to give to be equally. But, you know, as a matter of fact, the New Testament says, doesn't say anything about tithing. The New Testament says, give it all, like we just read right now. Give it all. But everyone has a balance or somewhere that they can actually be challenged to give on a regular basis. Because then you are storing up for yourselves gifts in heaven. The last verse in Philippians 4, it says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You want the God of peace to be with you? Practice these things. Practice these. Don't just listen to the word, but do what it says. Those who hear the word of God and do what it says are like the wise men. Those who hear the word of God and do not do what it says are like the foolish man. Paul says, practice these things. And you know what? Guess what? The peace of God will be with you. Those, those storms are coming. Those storms are coming and they're going to wreak, wreak havoc on your life. Those, those floods are going to rise. Those winds are going to blow. 
and they're going to challenge your character, who you are. Those, those troubles are going to come. Jesus promised it. In this world, you will experience tribulation. Then he says, fear not, for I have overcome the world. So Paul says, these things that I just taught you, and you heard and seen in me, practice them. Put them into practice. Don't worry. Worship. Let me ask you to stand. It almost sounds too simple. It almost sounds as if this is a one, two, three step. But God, I know that you planned this from the very beginning. You knew the stress and anxieties that this world would have. And to think about the time of Jesus and what he went through. And the things that they stressed about pale in comparison to what we go through now. But yet there were the same worries, the same angst, the same struggles, same anxieties, the same fears that you have commanded us to not to have. Lord, we need to be people who fear your name and recognize who you are, that you are sovereign, you're a God, you're a creator and sustainer. And because you are, we recognize you as our father. And any time that we worry, we recognize that we are not acting very Christ-like. We lose our focus. So help us to seek your kingdom and your righteousness, first and foremost, in all things, Lord. Help us to keep our mind focused on your kingdom. And not let the enemy take, take over and take every thought cat. Help us to keep our heart on you. Because wherever our worries are at, our treasures are at, that's where our kingdom, that's where our heart will be. And when we focus on your kingdom, that's where our treasures will be. So Father, I just pray that as we leave this place, we recognize your word and not only hear it, but obey it. Thank you so much, Lord, for this time of how you bless us so much. Lead us now and bless the food that's been provided and, and all the refreshments that we have and and help us to, to grow in such a way that uh, we'll build this fellowship of believers, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. amen and amen. I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up and have a word of prayer.